0: Sheila. And
1: I'm Sarah. And
0: welcome to Season 2 of Pushing Pediatrics, an educational podcast for physical therapists created to help those studying for the Pediatric Certified Specialist Exam and anyone else interested in learning more about pediatric physical therapy.
1: Last year, our episodes were played over 10,000 times to help listeners like you crush the PCS exam, and they did.
0: This year, you can expect more content and even more review to help you feel confident on test day. Let's not waste any more time. Time to study.
1: Listener note, this podcast was created as an adjunct for those studying for the PCS exam. By no means do we guarantee that one will pass the exam solely by listening to this podcast. We encourage all those studying for the exam to put the appropriate time and effort into their studying using resources recommended by the ABPTS and the APTA. It is not allowed to discuss test content and we will not accept any questions related to test content. While we will do our best to provide the most accurate information, If you feel as though we have stated something that is incorrect, please contact us via Instagram or Facebook at PushingPediatrics or send us an email at PushingPediatrics at gmail.com.
0: Hey guys, we have talked a lot about how we use the MedBridge PCS prep course to develop our study plan and as an awesome supplemental resource for the PCS exam. Not only are there copious amounts of videos, but they also include practice exams, recommended readings, and other resources to add to your toolbox. To celebrate Physical Therapy Month, MedBridge is running a special on their premium subscription for just $225 if you use the code PTMPUSHINGPEDS. You can also click on the link in the episode notes. These subscriptions are good for one year of content and gives you premium access, including their PCS prep content.
1: Even if you are not studying for the PCS, you can still use this discount code for continuing education credits. Share it with your colleagues and other friends who may be studying for their other specialty exams. Hurry, this special priced PT month promotion ends on October 31st.
0: Welcome back.
1: This week, we
0: are going to be going over the clinical summary for Down syndrome. As a reminder, these clinical summaries are available online to APTA members only. Down syndrome is the most common chromosomal abnormality and results from the presence of full or partial extra copies of the genes on chromosome 21. It is also referred to as trisomy 21, with 95% of cases having three copies of chromosome 21. Four to 5% of cases are a translocation, and one to two percent are mosaic. It is characterized by reduced brain volume, increased risk of abnormality in almost every organ system, and gross motor delays resulting from hypotonia, ligamentous laxity, and reduced brain volume, especially in the cerebellum. The incidence rises with maternal age.
1: Children with Down syndrome have global delays in meeting developmental milestones and all have some degree of intellectual disability. The factors that most limit participation include cognitive impairment, deficit in expressive language, and verbal short-term memory. They also demonstrate limitations in gross motor milestones that require postural control and coordination, remember cerebellum, and also can struggle with obesity and poor fitness.
0: There are some musculoskeletal and neurological abnormalities present in Down syndrome. Musculoskeletal abnormalities include hypotonia, ligamentous laxity, resulting in joint hypermobility. Neurological abnormalities include reduced brain volume, smaller frontal and temporal areas, a smaller cerebellum, and a smaller hippocampus.
1: Down syndrome is classified within three different categories, mild, moderate, and severe. Mild is considered when movement patterns are similar to those of children without Down syndrome at a similar stage of motor development. The child has sufficient muscle tone, strength, and voluntary control to initiate, adapt, and sustain movements during play. Moderate is considered when the child is able to initiate, adapt, and sustain movements during play, but movement patterns are less efficient than those of children without Down syndrome. Movements characterized by excessive motion in some weight-bearing joints, a wide base of support, reduced balance, and compensatory movements when muscle tone and strength is not adequate to meet the demands of the task. Severe is considered when the child has difficulty initiating, adapting, and sustaining movements during play. The frequency of movement and physical endurance may be limited. Movement patterns are inefficient and characterized by compensations that reflect low muscle tone, reduced strength, and limitations in voluntary control of movement. Let's go over some
0: impairments that may be seen with Down syndrome. Primary impairments of body structure and function include hypotonia and reduced postural tone, ligamentous laxity and joint hyperextensibility, poor postural control and balance, and decreased strength in the hip abductors and knee extensors. Secondary impairments of body structure and function include the use of co-contraction as an adaptive strategy, which may be insufficient or inadequate as a strategy, insufficient balance reactions, and reduced proprioception.
1: Activity limitations include motor patterns that are delayed and compensation strategies are seen Motor delays get worse with age, especially after six months. They have difficulty assuming and holding postures against gravity. Only equilibrium reactions necessary to a particular motor milestone are learned. Postural responses to external perturbations are slow and often insufficient. And deficits in postural control in both anterior, posterior, and medial lateral directions persist into adolescents and young adults with Down syndrome. Gait deviations that are seen include decreased gait velocity and stride length, as well as an increase in step width. Toddlers with Down syndrome have a wider step and use more conservative strategies. There is also increased knee flexion at initial contact and throughout stance secondary to overall muscle weakness. Reaching tasks may also be limited and sensory integration problems have been identified, including low energy, sensory-seeking behaviors, and low registration of sensory input, difficulty with transitions, tactile sensitivity, and auditory filtering and difficulty with noisy situations.
0: Individuals with Down syndrome are less physically active across the lifespan, and they tend to participate in significantly less physical activity than individuals with intellectual disability but without Down syndrome. Youth also have significantly decreased running performance. Participation restrictions include a decreased ability to keep up with their peers recreationally, and adults with Down syndrome have limited work and recreational opportunities.
1: Some commonly used screening tools for Down syndrome include the Ages and Stages Questionnaire, the Bailey, and the Denver 2. Children older than the age of 6 years with Down syndrome should also be screened for the following musculoskeletal conditions. allantooccipital instability, scoliosis, arthritis, hip dislocation or subluxation, a skiffy, leg calve perthes disease, patellar instability, and foot deformities, including pes planus and hallux valgus. There is a really great chart in the clinical summary that we suggest you take a look at that gives you signs and symptoms of each of these conditions an intervention for the condition and implications for physical therapy.
0: Comorbidities with Down syndrome include cognitive impairments, congenital heart defects, GI tract anomalies, thyroid dysfunction, diabetes mellitus, leukemia, osteopenia, and osteoporosis, respiratory disorders, seizures, obstructive sleep apnea, behavioral and mental health issues, hearing impairment, and visual impairment.
1: When completing an examination of a child with Down syndrome, obtaining a thorough history is key, especially to review any patient comorbidities. Tests of body structure and function include anthropometric measures such as height, weight, and BMI, vital signs, range of motion, and strength. To measure activity limitations, some standardized tests include the GMFM, the Peabody, the Bailey, the PD, the BOT2, the MABC2, the test of basic motor skills of children with Down syndrome, and the test of gross motor development. Remember, the GMFM has been validated for children with Down syndrome. Other measures include postural control and balance, as well as gait.
0: Some measures of participation for children with Down syndrome include the CAPE, the SFA, and the PD. Diagnosis can be made during the first trimester. Physical appearance at birth also leads to the suspicion of the diagnosis. There are also seven key characteristics associated with hypertonia. PT should focus on determining the presence or absence of decreased strength, increased flexibility, hypermobility, decreased activity tolerance, delayed motor skills, leaning on supports, and that rounded shoulder posture.
1: The GMFM has growth motor curves for children with Down syndrome. We definitely recommend you taking a look at these. Children tend to improve most rapidly at younger ages, and then the rate of improvement levels off as the child nears the upper limit of function. Most infants up to 18 months of age are working on the ability to sit and move on the floor. Most children 18 months to 3 years of age are working on learning to stand alone and walk. Most children 3 to 6 years of age are working on learning to run, walk up and down stairs, and jump. All children with Down syndrome, regardless of severity, will need more time to learn skills as movement complexity increases. Higher amounts of leg activity in infants with Down syndrome aged 12 to 14 months have been shown to be significantly related to earlier onset of independent walking.
0: Life expectancy of a person with Down syndrome is now about 60 years of age. Some age-related conditions that may develop include Alzheimer type dementia, osteopenia, and osteoporosis, degenerative joint disease, and visual and hearing impairments.
1: Some intervention strategies to accommodate for the population's unique learning needs include using sign language and augmented communication devices, limit verbal cueing and more modeling or imitation, and use visual cues. Intervention must also include appropriate behavioral and communication strategies, as well as collaborative planning with the parent or caregiver to find activities that are motivating and engaging enough to circumvent the typical pattern of avoidance of difficult tasks.
0: There is a chart in the clinical summary that describes interventions that are specific to those with Down syndrome. These include early intervention, treadmill training, strengthening, orthosis, postural control sensory integration aerobic exercise and bone mineral density activities the one that we will specifically go through is treadmill training but we recommend going through and looking at the entire chart so you're familiar with it all i've also been so passionate about using treadmill training with this population in my own practice so it is near and dear to me to initiate treadmill training the infant must be able to sit alone for 30 seconds take six steps on a treadmill in one minute, or able to take three to six independent steps. According to the research, teaching parents to suspend the child over a motorized treadmill to stimulate stepping led to a significantly earlier onset of independent walking. It is recommended to begin the intervention when the stepping pattern is still variable, inconsistent, and unstable. The recommended parameters of eight minutes per day, five days per week is enough to produce significant results. Adding ankle weight and increasing belt speed can improve results, but asking parents to track and manipulate too many variables at once can be overwhelming.
1: Next, the clinical summary goes over important intervention considerations by age. We recommend reading the entire chart. One important aspect that we would like to share on the podcast are the red flags for each age group. Red flags for infants include signs and symptoms of respiratory stress or heart failure, feeding difficulties and failure to thrive, and hypothyroidism. Red flags for preschool-aged kids include signs and symptoms of spinal cord compression and juvenile idiopathic arthritis. Red flags for school-aged children include signs and symptoms of spinal cord compression, juvenile idiopathic arthritis, and obesity. Red flags for adults include signs and symptoms of spinal cord compression, degenerative joint disease, especially in the neck and lower extremity, mitral valve prolapse, and dementia. The clinical summary finishes off with medical management of specific comorbidities, which we will encourage you to read on your own time.
0: These clinical summaries have a lot of information on them, and they are somewhat dense, but definitely take some time to read through them and incorporate them into your study. Happy studying.
1: Thank you all so much for listening to Pushing Pediatrics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Pushing Pediatrics. We would love to hear from you. So send us questions, suggestions, things you want to hear more of, and things you'd maybe want to hear less of. We will talk to you guys next time.
0: And remember, you totally got it.